Thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, last week we start, uh, saw the start of the church. We see Peter preaching the first sermon, preaching the first gospel message. 3,000 people respond to that message and uh, get saved. And so uh, we see the, the start of the church. And this morning uh, we're going to focus on the priorities of the early church, what they focused on, what they did with their time. But before we look at the priorities and the focus of the early church, I want to make sure we understand something that's very important. I want to make sure we understand what the church is. You see, the term the church is often misunderstood, often used in the wrong way. Uh, As a pastor, I've noted that among Christians even, that this term the the church uh, is is just something that is oftentimes seen in a very unbiblical perspective. So let's start by answering the question, what is the church? Well, the Greek word translated church is ekklesia. Uh, It means an assembly or gathering of people. Now, in the Greek culture, this word was used for any gathering of people that got together. But uh, as the church gathered, uh, it took on a more specific meaning. It meant an assembly or gathering of believers committed to Jesus Christ and one another in love. And so this term, the church, it means an assembly or gathering of believers committed to Jesus Christ and one another and love. Each local group of believers is a church. You'll note Paul, he wrote to the church in Ephesus. He wrote to the church in Philippi. He wrote to you know, these different places. Jesus in Revelation writes to the church in Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira. And so this local body of believers that's gathering together in a particular place, it's referred to as the church. But Paul also used the term the church to refer to believers everywhere. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The term the church here is speaking of all believers together, the church that Christ loved corporately. So the church really exists on two different levels. On one level, you have the universal church, the church worldwide of those people who believe in Jesus Christ, who have accepted him as their Lord and Savior, the ones that are all part of the body of Christ, the ones that we're all going to be in heaven with for eternity. So there's the universal church, but there's also the local church, the group of of people who come together in a particular area to gather, to fellowship, to worship, to receive from the Lord. Here at Cross Connection, we are a local church made up of us, believers in Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, the most common thought that comes to mind when you ask people, well, well, what is the church? You have the church is a building. That's the the thought that that usually when people say, what's a church? It's a building. Um, You know, some would say that we're not a church yet because we don't have our own building, because in their mindset, that's what the church is. it's It's a building. But the church doesn't refer to a building. It refers to people who believe in Jesus Christ. Now, we as Christians, we use terms that make it hard for the world to grasp this reality that the church is people and not a building because we say things like, I'm going to church on Sunday. 
Now, when we say, I'm going to church on Sunday, you can hear from someone who doesn't understand that. They're thinking, oh, so you're going to the building, and the building is the church. And so even from some of the terms that we use, we make it difficult for people to understand because, really, you're not going to church. You are the church. You're going to a building to meet with other people who are a church as well because we are the church. And so even some of the terms we use is kind of confusing. You know, when someone would ask me, say, on a Wednesday afternoon, oh, where is your church? The most accurate answer I could give to them, well, you know, it's about 12 o'clock right now on Wednesday, so my church is at work, at school, at home, uh, in different places all over Houston, because the reality is the church is the people, and the people are all over the place. Now, I know what they're asking when they're asking that, where does your actual church meet on Sundays, and then I would tell them here at this daycare center, but this daycare center is not the church. We, the people, are the church. Another misunderstanding about the church is that it just exists for a few hours each week. For some, the church exists for a few hours just on Sundays. For others, it exists on Sundays and midweek as well. Uh, but the reality is it's kind of this, you know, this time that it only exists for a real short period of time because, once again, there's this association with church and the building and the time that we spend in that building. And that's when church actually happens instead of realizing we're the church 24-7. Because it exists in us, and we are that. So it's not a time that we just get together that makes the church. We are the church wherever we're at in any place. And so it's not just something that happens on a Sunday or on a midweek. You know, when I tell people that I'm a pastor, oftentimes the response I get is, oh, it must be great only having to work one day a week. Because once again, their concept is, oh, the church, they just get together on Sundays, and, you know, that's all there is. But the church is not just a Sunday meeting. It exists all the time. Because we are the church. So an important thing for us to grasp, the church. It's an assembly or gathering of believers committed to Jesus Christ and one another in love. So now that we understand what the church is, the next question we should really ask ourselves is, what should the church do? If the church is an assembly of believers in Jesus Christ that gathers together, well, what should they do when they gather together? What should the church's focus be when they're gathering together? What should the church's priority be when they're gathering together? Well, in the verses we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see the early church. We're going to see what they focused on. We're going to see what their priorities were. We're going to see what they did with the time that they had. And something important for us to understand is this is the model church for us today. The church that we see in the book of Acts is the biblical model, the biblical example of what churches today should be following. We should be looking to the book of Acts as the biblical model of the church. We should see their priorities, see their focus, see the things that they were doing, and look to that as things that we want to do as well. We're only going to be looking at six verses this morning, but these verses are packed full of information about the early church, things that we're going to learn a lot from, that their priorities were, what their focus was, things that they did, and all of that is for us to look and say, you know what, what can we learn from that individually and corporately as a church? So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, says this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. 
So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Luke starts here in verse 42, sharing with us four things that the early church did with one another. But notice before he tells us these four things, he says, they continued steadfastly in them. So there were four things that the early church continued steadfastly in. The Greek word here translated steadfastly means to be completely devoted, to be steadfastly attentive, to constantly do something. So there were four things that the church there completely devoted themselves to constantly doing. These weren't one-off things. These weren't things that they did occasionally. These were things that they regularly devoted themselves to doing. These were foundational things that they made a priority, and they showed that they made it a priority by regularly doing it. The four foundational things that the early church continued in regularly were first, the apostles' doctrine or the word of God. Second, fellowship. Third, the breaking of bread or communion. And fourth, prayer. So these were the four foundational priorities that the early church constantly gave themselves to doing. These four priorities would shape who they would become as the body of Christ, how they would face adversity, how they would endure trials, how they would be witnesses for Christ. These four priorities were the foundation that the early church was built on. And these really are the four priorities that every church should ultimately be built on and completely devoted to continually doing. So let's look at these four things that the early church constantly did and see how we can apply them to our lives. The first thing the early church completely devoted themselves to constantly doing was being in the apostles' doctrine, being in the word of God. The apostles regularly took time to teach God's word. The the, the early believers, the the new believers, took time to learn from God's word. It just wasn't a a a once-a-week occurrence. It was a daily studying time together, learning God's word. Studying the word of God was a priority. It was a foundation for the early church. And the same should be true for us as well. God's word should be a priority. It should be something that we invest a good amount of time into studying personally and corporately as we come together. Now, you would think this would be a given for any church, that the Word of God would be a foundation, that the Word of God would be a priority, that the Word of God would be something that we would believe is inspired and that we would want to hold to and live. But sadly, in the church world today, that's not the case for every church. It's not the case that every church says, you know what, the Word of God is a priority, it's a foundation, it's something that we wholeheartedly believe and follow and teach and do. You know, one of the things that drew me to Calvary Chapel was their emphasis on the teaching of the Word of God. But not just on the teaching, but a desire to live it out and apply it to their lives. And, and that's something that, that really drew me in. You know, you probably noticed that the thing we devote the most time to when we get together on Sundays or we get together on Thursdays is the teaching of the Word of God. Because we recognize that is vital for our growth as believers. You know, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, tells us something so important about God's word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
You know, here at Cross Connection, we strongly believe what this verse says, that all Scripture is inspired. Not parts of it, not most of it, all of it is inspired, and all of it is profitable for us. And that's one of the reasons why we approach the teaching of the Word of God in the way that we do. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, because we ultimately want to say, hey, we truly believe every verse of the Bible is inspired, and every verse of the Bible is a priority. Every verse of the Bible has something to offer us, and so we want to cover the whole thing. Now, obviously, that will take a bit of time, but that is my desire eventually. The Bible makes very clear If you want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, the inspired word of God is the thing that does that for you. And we need that. We want to be thoroughly equipped, hopefully, for all that God has for us. And he's given us what we need through his word and through his spirit. Well, this is exactly what we see the early church doing. They made the word of God a priority in their time personally, in their time corporately. And that's a great example for us today. So the first thing the early church completely devoted themselves to constantly doing was being in the word. The second thing they completely devoted themselves to constantly doing was fellowshipping. The Greek word here translated fellowship, probably many of you know it, is koinonia, which means to share what one has in anything, to have a community of intimate relationships, fellowship. Now, the Greeks use this word koinonia for any relationship of intimacy, of closeness. But as the early church started to grow, this term koinonia kind of took on more of a specific focus, especially within the body of Christ. And it wasn't just an intimacy of relationships. It was more specific. It was an intimacy of relationships really focused on Jesus. That's the commonality that we have in the body of Christ. And so that, that fellowship was centered on Christ. And so when the early church used this Greek term koinonia, they were referring to that shared and intimate fellowship that we have with one another as believers in Jesus, with Jesus being the focus of our time together. Fellowship where you share with one another what Jesus is doing in your life. Fellowship where you encourage each other with what you're learning as you study the Bible. Fellowship where you discuss with others questions and and thoughts concerning God and the Bible and Christianity ultimate fellowship that is centered and focused on Jesus in the Bible. Here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is the first time in the Bible we see this Greek word koinonia translated fellowship. It started there with the early church, this fellowship that was Christ-centered, this gathering of believers together. We see this start here in Acts chapter 2. And it's something that they made a priority, something that they devoted themselves to constantly doing. They gathered together regularly as believers with the focus being on Jesus. Now, you probably noticed that I've emphasized fellowship that is Christ-centered because, you know, fellowship is a word that we use a lot in our culture and even in the church world. But oftentimes the fellowship that we have isn't Christ-centered. And I'm not saying that you know, any fellowship that's not Christ-centered is bad, but I want us to recognize just talking about sports and the weather and politics and our favorite movies and things like that, you know, there's nothing wrong with having those discussions, but understand that's not Christ-centered. Understand that ultimately doesn't help us grow in our relationships with Jesus. It's good to get to know people and good to get to talk about some of those things, but let's not miss 
something that's deeper, something that's more important. I think it's sad that oftentimes as believers we can get together and we can talk about things that really don't matter in an eternal perspective and miss talking about the things that really do matter, which are things that are centered on Christ. And so, you know, I would encourage you, make sure as you're discussing and talking and fellowshipping that there is a focus on Jesus. Fellowship where you share with others how you're doing. You, you, you share with them what you're learning. You, you, you talk about the Bible. You discuss things. You know, this month, our men met together, and I, I threw out a, a challenge for the guys. The challenge was, you know what, when, when we meet and we talk, why don't we pose a question? What is it that God has taught you this week? And there was really two main purposes for that. The first purpose is it, it opens up that door to make Jesus the focus, okay? If I ask you that question, hopefully you're going to respond with something that the Lord taught you, and the conversation is going to be centered on Christ. But it's also an accountability, because if you know that someone's going to come to you and pose this question, you better be reading your Bible. You better be studying it, because if you know someone's going to ask you, what did you learn this week? If you haven't been studying, then you're going to answer, well, nothing. Uh, and so, you know, it's a good accountability. And so I want to broaden that from just the men to everybody. I want to throw that out to you as a whole and just say, you know what, this is a great thing for us to do as we get together. Just throw that question out. You know what, what's the Lord been teaching you this week? What's something that you learn? And let's try to get our conversations focused more on Jesus and watch uh, how we can encourage each other with that. You know, Christ-centered fellowship is not just in what you say. It's also in what you do. Not only should the focus be our words but the focus should be our actions. Our actions towards one another are just as important as our words towards one another. And the Bible has a lot to say, not only about how we should speak towards one another, but also how we should act towards one another. You know, if you look up this phrase, one another in the Bible, you see a lot of commands connected with it in regard to fellowship. Let me throw a few out at you uh, so you can see. Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectionate. To one another. First Peter three eight. Have compassion for one another. Galatians five three. Through love serve one another. Ephesians four thirty two. Forgive one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. First Thessalonians five eleven. Comfort each other and edify one another. Hebrews three thirteen. Exhort one another daily. First Peter four eight. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. So you see, the Bible has this connection when we're together as believers with one another, fellowshipping with one another, kindness, compassion, service, forgiveness, comfort, exhortation, love. These are the things that should mark that fellowship, should mark that time that we spend together. Now, in order for this kind of Christ-centered fellowship to happen, two things need to take place. First, you you need to make sure that your words and your actions are are Christ-centered and focused. But second is more of a practical thing you got to get together. You can't have Christ-centered fellowship when you're all alone and you don't spend any time with other believers. It's essential to be with others in the body of Christ if you want to have Christ-centered fellowship. And that should be an obvious thing, but I find so often as a pastor, this is one of those things that is neglected too much. And this is why the exhortation in Hebrews chapter 10 is so important for us to remember. Hebrews 10, 25 Uh, 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
In order for us to have Christ-centered fellowship, we can't neglect the assembling of ourselves together, gathering together in times like this where we're together as a body of believers, where we can fellowship, where we can encourage, where we can share with one another. You have to get together for that to happen. And let me encourage you, don't just have this mindset of, okay, well, I only get together with other believers on the official time. So Sunday morning, Thursday night, the men's ministry, the women's thing, those are the times we get together and we fellowship. Well, those are part of the times. Those are great to be a part of. I encourage you to come out, but don't feel like that's where it stops. You know, you have the opportunity to say, you know what, I want to go and get to know more people in the fellowship. I want to invite them to dinner, invite them for coffee, invite them to whatever, and just connect with people on other times beyond Thursdays or, or Tuesdays or Sundays and recognize that, no, this is something that we should long and desire to do uh, and to grow in this fellowship with one another. So the first thing the early church completely devoted themselves to constantly doing was being in the word. The second thing is fellowship. The third thing that we see them doing is breaking bread or, or taking communion. The early church made remembering Jesus' sacrifice a priority. They didn't want to forget what Jesus did for them. They wanted to continue to remember that sacrifice and, and the, what Jesus had done for them. And, and ultimately, they're just being obedient to what Jesus himself said. Because if you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 through, uh, 23 through 28 says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In these verses, Paul shares with us three important things about communion, about what we should be doing as we come to partake in communion on a regular basis. The first thing that we should be doing is looking back. Look back and remember the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. Notice what we're told. Jesus says, you know what, when you're partaking He says, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. One of the main points of communion is remembering Jesus' sacrifice, remembering what Jesus went through for us, remembering how he died on the cross for our sins, how he paid that punishment that we deserved. It's a time to to look back and remember that great sacrifice that Jesus did. But you know what? We're not just to look back. We should also, second, look forward. Look forward proclaiming what Jesus did has done for us. Notice verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You see, when we're taking communion, we're not only remembering what Christ has done, we're actually proclaiming something. We're proclaiming what he's done. We're proclaiming it until he comes back. As people watch and say, you know, well, why are you partaking of, you know, the the juice and the crackers? And as explained, they had this grasp of who Jesus is and, and what he's done for us. But you know what? Something that's so important as well is not just look back, not just look forward, but we need to look within. Verse 28 says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
before we take communion, we should take some time to examine ourselves. Examine if there's unconfessed sin in our life. Because remember, as we take communion, we're remembering what Christ did on the cross for our sin. He paid the price for our sin. And so when we come to communion, let's examine and say, you know what, if there's any unconfessed sin in my life, I want to deal with it. Before I partake of this, before I remember this, before I focus on what Jesus did for my sin, let me confess to him any unconfessed sin that would be in my life. So look back, look forward, look within. These are three important things to do as we come to communion. The early church, they regularly took time to do this. And this is something that we do the first Sunday of every month. And since this is the first Sunday of the month, we will be concluding our service this morning by taking communion. So the first thing the early church devoted themselves to constantly doing was being in the word, second fellowship, third communion, and fourth prayers. The early church made prayer a priority. You know, they didn't just pray occasionally. They didn't just pray when big circumstances or big situations faced them. This was something they regularly did personally and corporately. You know, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the upper room, what do we see those 120 followers of Jesus doing? They're in prayer, gathered together. And as we look through the books of Acts, we're going to see a regular praying church. This is something that they made a priority often. You know, I've taught on prayer several times, and prayer is really just in its basic form, communication with God. And as I've taught on it, I've shared, you know, there's four basic ways in which we communicate with the Lord. First, through thanking Him. Second, through confessing our sin to him. Third, through asking for our own needs. And fourth, through praying for the needs of others. And so the church, you know, they took time to do that. It was something that was a priority. It was something that they focused on and did regularly. And it's something that was a foundation to who they were. And that's something that churches today, we need to make prayer a foundation, prayer a priority, not just individually, but also corporately. Now, I want us to note the effect of these four priorities, these four foundations. You see, the early church established this. These were four things that they did. But what was the outcome of that? What was the effect of making these four things a priority in their lives individually, in their lives corporately as they gather together? Because as we're going to continue through the rest of this chapter, we're going to see Luke reveals to us six things that ultimately were a result of this time doing these four things, making the word, making fellowship, making uh, communion and prayer priorities. So let's note what that was. Verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continually daily... With one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So these verses reveal to us six results of being devoted to the word, devoted to fellowship, devoted to communion, devoted to prayer. Six results that come from that. And I want us to realize that when we make these four things a priority in our lives individually and in our lives corporately, we'll see these results. These are things that come because of doing this. The first result of making the word Fellowship, communion, and prayer a priority was that fear came upon every one of them. Now, I want you to note the Greek word here translated fear means a reverential fear and honor 
towards God. This is speaking of this, this reverence towards God, this honor towards God. It's not a fear in the sense of shaking in your boots and knowing that God is all-powerful and he could strike you down if you wanted to. It's not that kind of fear. It's more of a fear that you have for your father, this reverential fear because you, you honor him and, and you don't want to displease him, this, this fear of wanting to do what he tells you to do. And the, the early church, they had this. You know, Proverbs tells us something very important. Chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That reverential fear of God is so important for us to have. As the early church devoted themselves to the word, to fellowship, to communion, to prayer, this was one of the results. This was one of the things that took place in their lives. They had this reverential fear and honor towards God. The second result of making the word, fellowship, communion, and prayer a priority was that many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. As the apostles made the word, fellowship, communion, prayer that priority, notice there's these supernatural things, these miraculous things that the Spirit of God does. And something I want you to note as we go through the book of Acts, we see this connection when the the body of Christ is gathered together, especially in prayer, but also in fellowship and in the word. We see this result of the Holy Spirit moves in miraculous ways. They're there praying just like they were the initial time the Holy Spirit came. They were gathered, fellowshipping and praying, and then boom, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them. We're going to see really quickly the same thing happens. They come together in prayer, and the Holy Spirit comes and gives them boldness to go out and proclaim the gospel. But, you know, it's interesting that we see this connection, that when you get together as believers and you're praying, and the Word of God is the focus, God Himself is the focus, you're wanting to please Him, you're wanting to be used by Him, it's usually at that moment that the Spirit of God says, wonderful, now that you're in a place where you desire to be used by me, desire to bring me glory, I want to now pour myself through you in order to empower you to do things for me so that you can accomplish serving me and bringing me glory. And so as they gathered together, they saw this miraculous move of God. The third result of making the word, fellowship, communion, and prayer a priority is seen in verses 44 and 45. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So the third result of making the word, fellowship, communion, and prayer a priority was that these believers, they were willing to sacrifice and give to one another. And this is something that's so interesting to me as we see this early church. And they saw other believers in need. They saw other believers who had things that, that, you know, they were struggling with. They took from what they had and they gave to others to help meet the needs of others. They sacrificially gave. You know, I think this is a great way we can distinguish ourselves from the world. Because for the most part, the world is pretty stingy and pretty selfish. Not always, but usually. And as the church, when we demonstrate this selflessness, when we demonstrate this willing to to give to others and to meet the needs of others, it's a a great, powerful way to demonstrate to the world the love of Christ. (laughs) Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You know, we're good looking at our own interests. You know, that's something that's, you know, in our flesh. We're naturally selfish. But to go beyond that and say, not just focus on me and my needs and my interests, but let me look out for others. Let me see where they're at and their needs and seek to help them with the things that they need help with. 
Well, this is exactly what the early church did. They looked after the interest of others, not just their own. And I think it's interesting, when you spend time in the Word, you spend time in prayer, you spend time in fellowship, you spend time remembering Christ's sacrifice, you start to become more like God. You know what? God is a sacrificial giver. And we see that most powerfully in display in the fact that he sacrificially gave himself, died on the cross for us. God is a sacrificial giver. We want to be more like him. That's something that ultimately is going to happen in our life as we spend time with him. The fourth result of making the word, fellowship, communion, and prayer priority is found in verse 46. So they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The fourth result of making the word, fellowship, communion, and prayer priority was that these believers got together daily in the temple and in different people's houses, and they were glad to have that time together. Notice that it wasn't a chore. It wasn't like, oh, I got to spend time with those people. They loved it. They enjoyed fellowship. They enjoyed getting together with other believers. They didn't just do it in the temple. They also did it from house to house. It was something that they made time for, that they wanted to connect with one another. They wanted to spend time with each other. It was something that they were glad to do. It was something they looked forward to doing. It wasn't some chore of, oh, I'm going to have to have those people over. It was something that they really longed for and wanted. And I think the reality is when we spend time with a focus on prayer and the word and communion and fellowship and we're growing in our relationship with God, a natural response to that is we're going to want to spend time with God's children. We're going to want to spend time with other people who know Jesus, who've accepted Jesus. We're going to want to have that Christ-centered fellowship. We're going to be glad to have it. We're going to look forward to it. It's not going to be something that we kind of put off and don't really make a priority. It's going to be something that we're going to regularly desire to do because that's the result of making those other four things a priority in our life. The fifth result of making the word, fellowship, communion, and prayer priority is found in verse 47. And they continued daily in the temple and with each other from house to house, and then we're told they praised God. The fifth result of making the word, fellowship, communion, and prayer priority is these believers praise the Lord. Praise and worship of God was uh, an outlet. It was something that was a, a response to these four things. You know, you see, as you make God's word, as you make prayer, as you make fellowship, as you make remembering what Jesus has done for us a priority, a natural response to that is just to praise God. Because you start to understand who he is more. You start to recognize what he's done for us more. And the response to that should be, Lord, I just want to praise you. Because you are worthy of praise. Look at what you have done for me. Look at who you are. And I just want to respond by by praising you. And oftentimes when we think of praise, we only think of song. That's one avenue in which we can praise him. But we can praise him in our lives in all sorts of different ways. And it's just a response to the Lord of saying, we are so grateful for who you are. And we want to declare that through our words, through our songs, through our actions. This is exactly what the early church did. They made praising God something that they regularly did. It was a response to making these other four things a priority. The sixth result of making the word, fellowship, communion, and prayer a priority is found in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. This is a great result that comes when we make the word, fellowship, communion, and prayer a priority. We have favor with people. 
You know, when, when you're someone who invests in that personally and corporately, we get together and, you know, the word is something, the prayer is something, fellowship is something, remembering Christ is something. You know, we start living more like Jesus, and there's a favor that comes among each other, but also times it, it comes within the community as we love God and we love them. And this is something that you see when the church really starts to make this impact, this inroad to the community. There's favor in there because we're living that life of love for them and to them. So as believers, we need to make the word, fellowship, communion, and prayer a priority. And as we do that, we'll start to see these six things, the same six things that the early church saw. We will start to see a reverential fear come upon us. Miraculous things being done through us, a sacrificial giving among us, glad to meet with other believers, praise and worship of God, and favor among the people. Now, I want you to note how this chapter ends there in verse 47. We're told, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Notice what it says. The Lord was the one who added daily to the church those who were being saved. You know, this is something that for me as a church planner really just took a huge weight off my shoulders because there was a point in time where I felt like I had to add to the church daily those who were being saved. And maybe you have felt that way as well as a believer in Christ that it's your responsibility to add to the church daily those who are being saved. But I want you to know something. It's not your responsibility. It's not my responsibility. It's Jesus's responsibility. He's the one who adds to the church daily those who are being saved. Now, don't miss what I'm saying. Don't think, well, I have no part. I have nothing to do. No, we're still called to share the gospel. We're still called to be witnesses. We're still called to live in obedience to Christ. And as we do that, we're a witness to people. We share the good news. But at the end of the day, we're not responsible for how people respond. And that's the thing that hopefully brings you comfort because oftentimes you share the gospel. I share the gospel and people reject it. And we think, oh man, I have failed. No, you haven't. Because you're not responsible for the response. You're responsible to share. If you have shared the gospel, then you've done your part. It's the Holy Spirit's job ultimately to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the Lord Jesus' job to add to the church daily those who are being saved. It's our job just to share with the culture, share with the lost, share the gospel, and leave it with him to move in hearts and allow people to come to know him. And I hope that takes some weight off of your shoulders to know, hey, the response isn't your responsibility. Your responsibility is just getting out and proclaiming the gospel and living for Christ in the culture. So in these verses, we see 10 things that really paint a great picture of what the church there in Acts is like. 10 things that hopefully we as a church want to be like as well. A church that's focused on God's word, a church that is Christ-centered, fellowship, a church that remembers Jesus by taking communion, a church that prayed, a church that had reverential fear of God, where miraculous things happened, where they were sacrificially gave, where they gladly met with other believers where they praised and worshiped God, and where they had favor with the people around them. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning here, Acts is a model. It's an example for us today. It's the church that we should ultimately have as a model for us. And imagine if every church, every local church in the world, had these 10 things as priorities. So these 10 things happening, what impact we would make. If every church in the world, you could say these 10 things about it. How amazing that would be. You know, our, our church world would make such a, a vast greater impact than it does now. Sadly, these 10 things aren't often seen uh, in the churches today. 
But you know what? Here at Cross Connection, this is what we're seeking to follow. We want to be a church that focuses on God's word, that is Christ-centered fellowship, that regularly remembers Jesus by taking communion, that prays, that is a reverential fear of God, where miraculous things happen, that sacrificially gives, that gladly meets with other believers, that prays and worships God, and that has favor with the community around us. We have the worship team come on up. You know, we're going to close this morning putting one of these foundational four things into practice. Something the early church regularly did was, as we noted, they took communion. As I mentioned, the first Sunday of every month, we as a church take communion together, take time to remember the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. And as I mentioned earlier, here's a time for us to do three things. Look back and remember what Jesus has done. Look forward, proclaiming what he has done. But I want you to do right now is look within. Before we partake of communion, I want you just to take some time just to ask the Lord and seek your own heart and to say, you know what, if there's sin in my life right now, I want to encourage you, confess that. Before we take communion together, get right with the Lord and deal with that sin and come and confess it. As 1 John 1, 9 tells us a wonderful truth, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so just bring it to him and confess it to him. And so the the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And as that song is being played, we're going to pass the communion elements around. I just ask you to hold on to those. Uh, This is an open communion, meaning anyone who has accepted Christ, uh, we uh, want you to partake with us. If you have yet to do that, if you've yet to accept Christ, I just encourage you to allow the communion elements to pass. Uh, And so once we get them all, uh, I'll come back up and and we'll partake of that together. So the worship team is going to lead in a song and uh, we will 